You're listening to the Grace Through Faith weekly podcast. For more information, go to mygtf.org. We hope you enjoy. Um, I'm going to kind of conclude the series that we've been in titled, um, There's Going to Be a Wedding. If you'll go ahead and start that, Ron, thank you so much. There's going to be a wedding, and, the, and really what we've been t- kind of going through all throughout this series is the reality of Jesus as the bridegroom. We know Jesus as the creator. He is the king of all kings, Lord of all lords. He's the judge. But one of the things that is in your Bible that he is, is the bridegroom. We are the bride of Christ, and therefore he is our groom. And how does that impact my life? And so we've been talking about how God unequivocally loves you so much that he gave his only son, right? And he has invited you into this relationship with you. And so there's been this invitation that's gone out. And, and so, so the first week we talked about how we're all invited. And, and many of us, going back to the word that Brian was just actually sharing, we make excuses for why God can't have our attention in this moment. There's so many other pressing things that are going on in the world, right? But God can't have our attention. And here's the, the reality of what Jesus taught in the parable of the wedding banquet in Luke chapter 14, where we were reading a couple of weeks ago, is that excuses really don't move his heart. He actually, he'll wait and he'll wait. He's very long-suffering and patient, but eventually he will move on. And that was the, the whole point of that parable that Jesus was trying to talk about, is that your excuses really don't do anything with the Lord. He's waiting for you to engage. And then the last week, we talked about how we're all chosen and how God is in this. Jesus is in this for love. He really isn't mad. I think the thing that is offensive to God is that whenever he is fully extending his love, that it's not reciprocated. That God is waiting for somebody to love him back and to do in this relationship what he is doing in this relationship and giving all. And so you are chosen. Jesus is fully in love with you and has invited you into this relationship. The question is, have you responded? And so today what we're going to talk about is the wedding supper of the Lamb. I want you to turn to Revelation chapter 19. Revelation chapter 19 is the clearest picture of the theology of the marriage supper of the Lamb of God. The day that Jesus and the church come together. Where there is this wedding that happens and there is a feast that takes place on this day. Now, I'm I'm just going to kind of preface everything that I'm going to say from this point forward to just tell you, we're going to eat steak this morning, okay? You've been asked today if if you're hungry, if you're spiritually hungry and all that, so get your spiritual molars. This isn't a milk morning. This is going to be some steak morning, okay? And so we're going to eat. We're going to read all of Revelation chapter 19. And as a preacher, sometimes you're like, I don't know if they can handle a whole chapter. And so just kind of dig in. We're going to eat this morning, and we're going to eat good. And so I'm going to ask that the bread of life would come, and he would fill us. Amen? So, Father God, we do give you our full attention right now in this moment. I believe this morning, God, for the people who are listening online, for the people who are here with us this morning in the room, that you're going to change people's eternity this morning. And so, Lord, we we know that we need this moment to give it to you that you have our attention. We ask that you, Jesus, the bread of life, would come fill us today. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, everything that I've done in this series up to this point has tried to bring this, paint this picture for you of this wedding banquet, this reality that there is going to be a wedding. And I love the, the picture that we have up here, and it's like there's this kind of this bliss and this love, and it's awesome. 
And Jesus has invited you into that because he loves you, you're chosen, you're invited, but there is a real consequence if you do not show up to this party. There is a real consequence if you don't take this seriously. And so I want to look at what that is. So we're going to go through Revelation chapter 19. And so I'll kind of break this up. And so let's read in verse 1. I said, after this, so after this means there was something that happened just now. Okay, and I'll tell you what that was here in just a minute. So after this, I heard what seemed to be the loud voice of a great multitude in heaven crying out, Hallelujah. Salvation and glory and power belong to our God, for he has judged the great prostitute who corrupted the earth with her immortality and has avenged on her the blood of his servants. Once more they cried out, Hallelujah, the smoke from her goes up forever and ever. And 24 elders and the four living creatures fell down and worshipped God, who was seated on the throne saying, Amen, Hallelujah. And from the throne came a voice saying, Praise our God. All you his servants, you who fear him, small and great. Here's what has just happened. That everybody in heaven is is breaking into a chorus of worship. And they're worshiping God and they're worshiping the Lamb. because, Because God has judged the harlot Babylon. So Pastor Bo talked a couple of weeks ago whenever he kicked this series off. He said there's two systems in the world. And and basically what happens in in Revelation chapter 18 is the harlot Babylon in this chapter represents the corrupted systems of this world. And eventually it will be shaken to its core and brought to nothing. It will be judged. And so what he was talking about that morning is there's this question that kind of all of creation is, is mourning over the death of this harlot. And they're asking who is like her. And then he told you guys that, that John was actually going to paint the picture of who is like her. And that is the church. Who's greater than Babylon? It is the church. And so what you're fixing to get a great picture of is the bride, the groom, and their wedding feast. Okay? So look at verse 6. Then I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude, like the roar of many waters, and like the sound of mighty peals of thunder, crying out, Hallelujah! For the Lord our God, the Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and exult and give Him the glory. For the marriage of the Lamb has come. If you want a clear text in your Bible of where it talks about the marriage of the Lamb and the feast that follows, this is it. The marriage of the Lamb has come and His bride has made herself ready. It was granted her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure, for the linen, for the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saint. I want you to say this this morning. Am I ready? Are you ready? That's the question of the day. Are you ready? I want to talk about how to get ready. Because one of the things that that is so clear in this is there's this picture in heaven and they're rejoicing because the bride has made herself ready. And and there's so many times that I have heard these two verses, verse 7 and 8, preached wrong. I'm going to preach it right today. I'm fully confident I'm right and everybody else is wrong, okay? (laughs) I, I do say that with a little bit of humility, but there's something that I don't want to convey to you today, and I've heard it conveyed to me many, many times growing up. And here's kind of the question of, of the day is in this passage is, are you holding up the ceremony? The bride has finally made herself ready, and so let's go do this thing is kind of what's being conveyed. But I want you, I, there's so many times that I have heard this passage used to preach a, 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 an interesting message to me that doesn't line up with what I believe. Here's what I believe, and I'll tell you what I hear preached too often. 
For it is by grace that you have been saved through faith, not by your works so that you can't boast. See, that's more than the name of our church. That's actually the scripture that we put our heart and our soul into because that, whenever you believe that, is whenever you're born again. That I put my faith in his work, not my work. And so if you're sitting here worried that you're holding up the ceremony, understand this. You are so messed up. There's no way that you're going to get ready enough to make this ceremony happen. That's his job. So many times I hear this passage used to preach, when the church gets it together, then Jesus will come back. Jesus is coming back for a bride without spot or wrinkle. How many of y'all have heard that one? He is. It's a true statement. But listen to me. If you have it in your mind that Jesus is up in heaven and he's tapping on his toe, he's this impatient groom, and he's waiting for you to finally get your act together so that we can get this wedding show on the road, you are mistaken about how sanctification actually happens. I'm going to read you Ephesians chapter 5. Never forget who makes you clean. Never forget who makes you ready. This is what Ephesians chapter 5 talks about. It talks about husbands, and we read this a little bit last week. It talks about how husbands should use Jesus as their example. And it says, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. And then Paul tells us what Christ actually did. I think that we have this one. If you'll go ahead and go to that one. Ephesians 5.25. As Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her. Who is it that sanctifies us? Is it you? He will sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that, the, so that he might present the church to himself. So that the groom might present his bride to himself in splendor, without spot, without wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy with no blemish. It's his job. His blood is the only thing that is capable of making you ready for that day. The whole idea of what Jesus was trying to teach his disciples and anybody who was listening, he would tell the parable of the wedding banquet and he would tell the, the parable of the ten virgins, which I'll, I'll kind of touch on a little bit later. But he was trying to get them to understand, do not miss your opportunity to be ready. The window will eventually close. Be ready. Be watching. You don't know the day or the hour. That was his repetitive message the week before he went to make his bride spotless, without any wrinkle. And so I want you to, uh, to hear this again because this is, this is my preferred rendering. I'm going to read you this out of the NIV, Revelations 19. Look at verse 8 again. It says it this way. Fine linen, bright and clean, was given her to wear. Listen, the clothes have already been made white. They're splendid. They don't have wrinkles on them. Your job in this whole ordeal is not to get yourself to this clean state. Your job is to put the clothes on. That's your responsibility. That's your part to play. Is Have you received what it is that Jesus has done on your behalf? And once you have those clothes on, you're ready. You're ready. So you're not holding up the ceremony. The reason that the groom is waiting is because he's waiting for his dad to actually tell him when. And his dad is waiting for you to put on your clothes. 
See, it's not going to be a day where you wake up and it's like, man, I did it perfect. I had my quiet time today. I didn't cuss one time. And man, I didn't lose my temper on my kids. Today's the day. And it's like, if we get that mentality, then we kind of, we live our perfect day. And then we're like, okay, who messed up? It wasn't me today. <laughs> who, else, who else did not take care of business today? If we got to wait for everybody to get their stuff together, church, we're going to be waiting a long time. What's the point of these wedding clothes? I want to remind you this. Remember the parable we read a couple weeks ago in Matthew chapter 22. Is the, the parable is the story that Jesus told his disciples about the wedding banquet. How the king threw a wedding banquet for his son. And he invited everybody to come in and he, everybody made the excuses, right? Well, it says at the end in verse 11. But when the king came back in and the wedding banquet had already started. He came in to look at the guests. He saw there a man who had no clothes. No wedding clothes. No wedding garments. And he said to him, friend, how did you get in here without wedding garments? And the man was speechless. Listen, the thing that you have to focus on, if you want to know, am I ready to meet the groom, is you have to be clothed in the clothes that he's prepared for you. It's required. There is no way to get to God except through Jesus Christ. He has prepared the way for you. You're the one that has to receive it and believe in it. To fully put your faith in it and to walk therein. Amen? The responsibility of the bride is to accept the dress and put it on. Verse 9. And the angel said to me, write this. So just if you'll look at this real quick, we'll read this paragraph. But this is interesting to me. Because John, the apostle John is the one who is receiving this revelation. It's the revelation of Jesus. And there's this angel who's sitting there talking to him. And it's like he taps him on the shoulder. He's like, hey, don't forget this part. Write this down. Get this right. He says, write this. Blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, these are the true words of God. See, here's the thing. Make no mistake about it. You have been told over and over and over the last several weeks, you are invited. But you have to respond. Blessed are you. Blessed are you whenever you accept and receive that, those garments and now you're ready. Because that's the, thing, that, the next thing that's going to happen is you're going to see your groom on this wedding day. So now let's look at the groom. You've got a picture of the bride there and the clothes that she gets to wear. Aren't you grateful for that? Sanctification, uh, according to the New Testament, is a liberating thing because I grew up thinking that it's like, man, I just got to keep getting my act together. But listen, he's the one that's going to make you clean. If you've put your faith in him, you are there. You're clean. And he's continuing to grow you. He's continuing to, to, to mature you in your faith. But you are ready to meet him because of his blood and for no other reason. Look at Revelation chapter 19, verse 11. Let's, let's move on and we'll, we'll read about the groom. Then I saw heaven open and behold a white horse. The one sitting on it is called Faithful and True. And in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes are like a flame of fire and his head, and on his head rather, are many diadems or crowns. And he, he, he has a name written that no one knows but himself. He is clothed in a robe dipped in blood. And the name by which he is called is the word of God. And the armies of heaven arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, were following him on white horses. From his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations, and he will rule them 
with a rod of iron. He will tread the winepress of the fury, the wrath of God, the Almighty. In his robe and on his thigh, he has a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. That's a pretty cool picture. I don't know what you picture whenever you picture Jesus, but that's not nice Jesus. That's the warrior king coming to rescue his bride. I don't know if you feel like you need to be rescued yet or not, but by the time that we get to this point in history, we all will. And Jesus, whenever he returns, he is the Son of God, the Lamb who took away the sin of the world, but he is going to come back with a fury in him that the world did not see the first time that he came. It's, think about some of the imagery that, that John gets as he sees Jesus, the groom, coming. He sees him with fire in his eyes. He's wearing a robe that is dipped in blood. Gross, but accurate. And he comes to make war. Who's he going to make war with? I don't know about you, but I know it's not me. Yeah. <laughs> it, it's not me, man. Pick your side. He comes to make war. This is the reality. If you, if you have been introduced to kind of a, a milquetoast gospel that says that Jesus loves you and that's it, I want you to understand that Jesus is coming back for his bride with fury and with fire and with a purpose. And I'm going to show you what that purpose is, okay? And so before I get there, look at Isaiah chapter 61. If you'll put that one up there too, please. On this day, it's not going to be nice, Jesus. Now, this is interesting because at, at Jesus' first advent, whenever he walked the earth the first, first time, as the Son of God, fully God, fully man, in the flesh, he grabbed this scroll on one occasion. This is the scroll of Isaiah, and it says that he walked into synagogue on the day that it was customary to do that. And as a, an itinerant rabbi, it was their tradition that if they had a rabbi that came into service and he wasn't from that synagogue, he got to read and actually preached that morning. And so they handed him the scroll, and it was actually, this was the reading of the morning that Jesus was in the synagogue. And so he rolls it out, and he begins to read in verse 1, The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me, because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Stop. And on that day, whenever Jesus read that verse, he rolled up the scroll, he stopped reading, and he said, today this is fulfilled in your hearing. Now, what's interesting about that passage is it doesn't have a period right there. It has a comma. And it goes on to say, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God. So here's the thing that I want you to understand theologically is whenever Jesus came at his first advent, he came to be the nice Jesus. And what I mean by the nice Jesus, I mean the Savior of the world. He came to save, to set captives free, to provide the door for people to walk through into freedom, into liberty, and into a new birth that would marry them to God. But there's coming a future day, which we're reading about, in Revelation chapter 19, whenever he does come back again. The thing that concerns me as a pastor is where we are right now as a church in America is, is we are very biblically illiterate. Meaning we don't, under, we don't know what the Bible actually says. And so if you don't understand that Jesus is way more than just Mr. Nice Guy who saved the world, you don't understand what's fixing to happen in human history that's before us. 
There will come a day whenever we need a warrior king to come set everything right. And I don't know about you, but it feels like it's really soon. And you get to this place where you're going, Jesus, when are you going to show up? And he's not going to show up to begin to bring salvation because it's already been brought. He's going to show up to bring the vengeance of God. Now let's keep going. Let's press forward. We've seen the bride. We've seen the groom. Now let's see this wedding feast. If you want to know what the wedding supper of the Lamb looks like, this next, chap- this next paragraph rather gives you the clearest picture of what it's going to look like on your wedding day with Jesus. Verse 17, then I saw an angel standing in the sun, and with a loud voice he called to all the birds that fly directly overhead, quote, this is what the angel says, come, gather for the great supper of God, to eat the flesh of kings, the flesh of captains, the flesh of mighty men, the flesh of horses and their riders, and the flesh of all men, both free and slave, both small and great. And I saw the beast and the kings of the earth with their armies gathered to make war against him who was sitting on the horse and against his army. I told you several weeks ago, probably six weeks ago, I talked to you about is this the end? And I told you that there are really specific signs that Jesus gave in Matthew chapter 24 uh, that would precursor hit the end. And one of them was armies gathered around Jerusalem. And if you haven't seen that in the news lately, just give yourself a little bit more time. But that's the scene that Jesus shows up on. If you go back and read Zechariah chapter 14, it tells you actually where he's going to land. Zechariah 14 says that he saw the Lord coming from the east and he put his foot on the Mount of Olives and there's going to be a huge earthquake and it's going to split it in two on the east side of Jerusalem. And he shows up in the midst of a battle that's fixing to start with vengeance in his eyes. Keep reading. And verse 20, And the beast was captured, and with it the false prophet, who in its presence had done the signs by which he deceived those who had received the mark of the beast and those who worshipped its image. These two were thrown alive into the lake of fire that burns with sulfur, and the rest were slain by the sword that came from the mouth of Jesus, who was sitting on the horse, and all the birds were gorged with their flesh. Gross. It's gross. That is the wedding supper of the Lamb. That is the feast of God. There is coming a day when all of the wrong in this world is made right. Now, I don't know about you, but if you read that and it made your tummy a little bit uneasy, then maybe you're not accessing the right emotions. I just want to suggest that to you today. If you read about God's vengeance and it kind of makes you squirm a little bit, like, ah, that doesn't seem real nice, Jesus, or maybe it's not fair. I don't know what your mom and dad taught you about fair. But my mom and dad taught me that there is a fair, and it comes in the fall, out there by Dick Bivens Stadium. (laughs) But this is what I want you to understand about God. Nothing he does is wrong. He is completely just in everything that he does. He's the perfect judge. There is nobody who is going to receive wrath from God that does not deserve it. Amen? And whenever you read about the fury of God's wrath, this, this warrior king, this groom that we have that is coming with his robe dipped in blood, and if it makes you a little bit squeamish, you do not have the right thing at the front of your mind. I want to show you a couple pictures. If you would go ahead and just click through those. 2015. Y'all remember this one? These Coptic Christians in Iraq. I don't know if you watched the video, but it was pretty gross. 
These are ISIS soldiers behind him, and they, as soon as they, uh, you know, bowed their head, took their hoods off, they cut, I mean, sawed their heads off with knives, beheaded them on TV. I I don't know what that does to your emotional state, but it should get you a little bit angry. It's wrong. It's brutal. It's cruel. Go to this next one. You know who that guy is? They've been fighting a civil war in Syria for about uh, nine years now. I heard a statistic the other day. 500,000 people, half a million people have died. There's an ethnic cleansing that's going on in that region. They're just killing people in swaths. Half a million people have died. You know how many people have... That's about half as many people have died of coronavirus. And you know how upset we are about that. But how much do you hear about what's going on right now in Syria? This is way bigger than America, guys. This is the world. God, for God so loved the world. There's all kinds of atrocities that are going on in our country. And so let's I talked about coronavirus there for a second. Go to the next one. Y'all remember these videos, pictures? The beginning of coronavirus, whenever it was breaking out in Wuhan in China, how the Chinese government was welding people inside of their homes so that they would social distance. We're worried about masks. And they're getting welded inside of their homes, hauled off to prisons. Go to the next slide. This is the Uyghur, 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 Muslims, concentration camps in China right now. If you look right over that, that, over that building on the left-hand side, that's where they filmed Mulan. It was a joke. Come on, guys. <laughs> My only joke this morning, and y'all didn't get it. <laughs> they're taking these Muslims, and they're shaving their heads and taking them off to, to concentration camps. Listen, there's a population thing that's going on in that region, that province. It has decreased by 85% in the last many years. I don't know how many years, about seven years. That They have literally killed that many of these Muslims in that region because they don't want them there. They're not compliant. They are forcing these, their wives to get, um, uh, they're, they're forcing them to get their tubes tied. I don't know the emotional state with which you read this, but this should be the thing that you think about. Not that God's mean, that he doesn't care. The reason that he comes back with vengeance in his eyes is because he's coming back for a bride, specifically a bride who is being persecuted in a real way. Go to the next one. And these are just generic, okay? How many, how many of you like that one? Did y'all watch the documentary? Nobody's raising their hand. I know y'all watch the documentaries. <laughs> Before y'all canceled Netflix, y'all watched this documentary. Jeffrey Epstein, probably the most prolific pedophile in our nation. Does it make your stomach turn whenever you see this picture now? Here's, here's the reason I want you to see all these. That's the emotion that you should access whenever you think about the day of the Lord. Is that Jesus is coming back with fire in his eyes, with a robe dipped in blood, not because he really wants to get kitty cats. And he really wants to, 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 to do away with all of the wonderful things that we love in this world. He wants to break the system that is so already broken. He's going to completely annihilate the twisted evil that goes on in the world that you and I see every single day. And so whenever you and I, we get on social media and we're outraged about about the wrong things that are going on in this world, understand the government cannot fix that for us. They can put a band-aid on it. They can try to address it, and they should. But listen, the person, the only person who can come and make wrong things right is the Lamb of God, is the Lion of the tribe of Judah. 
And whenever he comes back, he is, the government is going to be placed on his shoulders if you go back and read through Psalms. And the expansion of that government will not end. And guess what? It's going to be good. I love our country, but it pales in comparison to the day whenever he steps foot on this planet again and establishes his kingdom. It will be the only thing that makes everything right again. Whenever Jesus went to the cross, he said, Behold, I make all things new. See, he isn't going to reform the system. He's going to get rid of the system and institute something complete, perfect, and new. Romans 12, 19 says, Beloved, never avenge yourselves. Think about all these pictures that I'm showing you and all the wrong things that are done on the planet. It's not yours to actually get vengeance. It's reserved for somebody else. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, vengeance is mine, says the Lord. There is something that is eager in the heart of your groom that wants to come and release righteous vengeance on the earth for the wrongs that are done. For people strung out on heroin, for abortions that are done every single day, for all of the yuck that is in this planet, he's the only one who can set it right, and he yearns to set things right. And so whenever we talk about this wedding supper of the land, here's the point, and I'll just leave you with these two thoughts. Because it's real easy for for me to kind of get excited about that, and sometimes whenever I talk to people, it's like, hey, have you read the book of Revelation lately? And they're like, nah. It's confusing, but it has the clearest picture of your wedding day that there is in Scripture. And this is what that wedding day is going to look like. Two thoughts, real quick. How is it that you, what should you do with all this information? Number one, I, t- I, I kind of recapped what Pastor Bo said in week one about the two women earlier. We looked at Harlot, the Harlot Babylon. In verse eight, uh, chapter 18, verse 4, it says this, Then I heard another voice from heaven saying, Come out of her. Come out of her, my people, lest you take part in her sins, lest you share in her plagues. For her sins are heaped high as heaven, and God has remembered her iniquities. Here is the, the reality of what God, how God wants you to respond to the truth that he's coming. That he is going to bring his bride into this moment of this wedding supper. And there is going to be a marriage between God and the church. But I want you to think about the church for a second. If you consider yourself to be a member of the church, you have a name in Scripture. It's ecclesia. And this is what it means in the Greek. It means those who have been called out. You have been called out of Babylon. You've been called out of sin. And that doesn't mean that you're never going to make a mistake again. We talked about sanctification earlier. What it does mean is that you are a member of the ecclesia whenever you respond to being called out. Whenever you say, yeah, give me my clothes, I'm going to become the bride of Christ. I'm going to allow him to wash me. I'm going to allow him to be my groom and to sanctify me and to present me to him on that day without spot and wrinkle. You have been called out of darkness and into his light. Have you responded to that calling? Here's the second thing. Jesus told this story of the ten virgins, and I'll just recap it for you real quick. Matthew chapter 25, if you want to go back and read it. But Jesus said that, you know, the kingdom of heaven will be like this. Like ten virgins who are waiting for the groom to come. And a virgin that he's talking about is part of the wedding party. It's the bride's wedding party, actually. 
And their job was to stay up because the, if the groom came in the middle of the night, their job was to go and wake everybody up and be part of the wedding ceremony and be there, to be ready, to go as soon as he called. And so it says that five wise virgins came in and they had their lamps and they had enough oil for the stay. And five foolish virgins came in and they just had their lamps and they didn't bring enough oil. And they all fell asleep. Everybody did. They all got tired of waiting. It took a long time. And they all fell asleep. And then the call came out and the bridegroom comes down the street. And the five foolish virgins look to the five wise virgins and say, give us some of your oil. And they're like, We're not, we don't have enough for you two. And so the five foolish virgins had to go buy some. And in the process of going and buying some, they go into the wedding, the five wise ones do, and the doors are closed. Over and over and over again, Jesus is telling these parables leading up to the cross. And the point of the parable is, are you ready? He says, as soon as he tells this parable, he says, be ready. Watch, because you do not know the hour. You don't know how much time you have on this planet. You don't know when this moment's going to come that we read about today. I don't know. Jesus said he doesn't know. Your job is to be ready. Doesn't mean I don't get sleepy sometimes. It doesn't mean that I don't stray a little bit from time to time. But am I ready? Are you ready? Are you watching? Are you in that position that that as soon as Jesus shows up, your heart's going to be glad? Or are you going to have this dread that goes, oh, I I didn't get things in order like I needed to in my spiritual life. I was too busy living for me, and so I didn't get, have time to live for him. And listen, Jesus is inviting every single one of us into this moment. Don't make excuses because the window will eventually close. The doors will eventually close. There, the, the, Jesus, uh, you know, when he's listening to our excuses, it does not move his heart. Eventually, he will move on, but that's not yet. If you would stand with me this morning. Ask the worship team to come up. You should look at that picture again of those two happy people. Look at, no, not those two happy people. Come on now. That's terrible. Those, those two happy people right there. Sometimes I think we have, whenever we talk about the wedding of the lamb, the marriage of the lamb, we have this picture of this blissful moment, and it's such a great picture. And uh, here's the reality. Whenever Jesus comes back, the groom comes back to take his bride into this wedding moment. She's going to be so persecuted that Jesus is coming to rescue. He's coming to set things right. And I just, all throughout, as we've been going through this series, my heart for all of us is that you look within your own heart and say, am I ready? Why am I waiting? If you're sitting here waiting for somebody to give you an invitation to step into this relationship with Jesus, I am inviting you today. Do not let this moment pass you by before you accept what Jesus has done on your behalf. If you would bow your head this morning. And if you know that you're far from God today, you know that you need Jesus to come be the Savior of your life, I want to ask you to just raise your hand. I want to pray for you today. Just raise your hand right where you're at. Father God, I just thank you so much for what you're doing in people's hearts this morning. I thank you, God, that you're revealing your love to them today. And as you are calling them out of living for themselves and living in darkness, God, I pray that you would invade their soul with your light. 
I pray, God, that as they go home, that they put their faith in you and in nothing else, not their works, not their parents' history in God, not their church attendance, not anything else except that Jesus Christ has paid for your sins. Church, I want to invite you to pray this prayer with me out loud. Jesus, I need you. I believe you are the Son of God. Would you wash me of my sin and clothe me in your righteousness so that I'm found ready on that day? Amen.